Well, as you know, we've been in the book of Acts here for a good little bit. We're coming in on the home stretch. We've got two more weeks of Acts left after this Sunday. And uh, I'm just really excited for you to join us for the last couple of weeks. There's some pretty important messages, both of them. And one of them, we're going to be going out of our way to try and bring it to you in a creative way. I won't be standing on top of a bridge this time, but I may be standing somewhere interesting. And so just make sure you tune in and don't miss those last couple in this series today. We're going to be taking a look at Acts chapter 27. And really in this chapter, the things that Luke is recounting as he sort of records the details are nothing short of really a death-defying trip, uh, an adventure of a lifetime that goes really wrong as he records the details of Paul being sent from Caesarea to Rome. And when I read this story, it sort of conjures up images of the deadliest catch, the, the show where they're fishing in the, the Bering Sea and there's those huge waves crashing over the boats and, and you see those shots from a distance and it makes the boat just look like this tiny little bobber in this huge ocean just boiling over. And it reminds me of the type of things that get described by Luke in Acts chapter 27. It also brings to mind another story of one of the world's most amazing adventurers. And it was a man named Ernest Shackleton. And the story of his adventure on the ship called the Endurance to the South Pole in Antarctica is one that has so many parallels to the story of Luke and Paul in Acts 27. And just to give you some highlights of what happened with Shackleton, in, in the summer of 1914, he rallies together a ragtag group of adventure junkies, scientists, photographers, uh, you know, polar expedition uh, experts, uh, and really just some guys that are crazy enough to go with him on an adventure like this. They even ended up with one stowaway, which brought the, the number of the expedition up to 28 men. They had 69 sled dogs on board, along with all their gear and supplies and stuff that, that you know, they anticipated being out for even up to a year. And the intent was they were going to sail to uh, Antarctica, the southernmost continent on the globe, which had yet to be explored. And they intended to sail to Antarctica, uh, make landfall, leave a party of men on uh, land in Antarctica, sail around to the other side of the continent to a preset location. Many months later, while the men on land would make the first uh, transcontinental on foot uh, passage, over Antarctica and across the South Pole, and it was to explore land that had never been explored. In fact, at this time, it was the last unknown explored place on the globe, and so it was quite the expedition they sent out on, and it's sort of like one of those things where you're like, what could possibly go wrong, right? Well, as you can imagine, some things went wrong, and so here it is. Nearly a year later, after they set out, we're now talking January 1915. At, at this point, they're so close to land in Antarctica. In fact, it, it, it's, it's speculated that they were maybe only like one day more away if they could have continued their course and they would have made landfall. But that far in and that close to land, they were actually stopped in this pack ice. And, and then the, the ship became trapped in the pack ice. And... At that point, the ship was stuck and it began to be drawn away from land with the current and the flow of the pack ice. And so for 10 months, this ship 
along with all the men, all their gear, all the dogs are locked into this huge ice flow and they're pulled north away from the island several hundred miles for 10 months. And finally, 10 months later, the ice uh, just comes at the ship from every angle and just obliterates the ship, smashes it to pieces. They pull everything off of it. Now you've got all the men, the dogs, and the supplies out on the pack ice. And, and this is really where their adventure begins because now with, with really no uh, alternatives left, Shackleton turns to a guy that has um, the right experience, the, the right know-how, the right attitude to try and help them figure out how to get out of this. And it was a man that he had brought with him named Frank Worsley. And, and Worsley was quite the experienced seaman and adventurer and luckily had a fantastic attitude and outlook on life. And, and so from here, they set out on what becomes really the adventure of all adventures. They're trying to make it from where they are over 850 miles of open sea on some of the harshest oceans in the harshest climate in all the globe to try and find the last little outpost of civilization to make rescue. And so they eventually make it to a certain piece of land. They leave some of the crew there and then they have one lifeboat remaining. And in that, that last lifeboat, a handful of guys try to make a several hundred mile trip sailing in a lifeboat with the wrong supplies and the wrong gear not enough resources, and they're trying to navigate with almost no sight of the sun, no sight of the stars, oftentimes for days, and they're trying to make it to the South Georgia island that is like nothing more than a dot in the sea. And somehow, Worsley managed to navigate and get them there. And so eventually they're rescued. Now, here's the interesting thing. It's pretty fascinating to learn this, that this trip, uh, was quite the trip. It was. It, it took a long time. They weren't just out for a few months surviving in this harsh climate. They weren't even out for like a year surviving in this harsh climate. It ended up being 495 days they had been lost surviving on flowing pack ice in some of the harshest weather and the harshest in, you know climate in, in all the world and some of the worst storms ever recorded or seen by any men up to that point. And so in the end, they survived. Every single man survived, and it's accredited to the leadership of this man, Frank Worsley, and his skills. And so when all things fell apart, they needed a guy like Frank, uh, a guy like Frank Worsley that could navigate and lead them through these things. And we're going to find that in the story we're going to unpack in Acts 27, uh, they needed a guy like a Frank Worsley, and they found him in a man we know as Paul. So Acts 27 begins like this. It says, When the time came, we set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, a captain of the Imperial Regiment, uh, Aristarchus, uh, and, uh, who was a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us also. We left on a ship whose home port was Adramidium, on the northwest coast of the province of Asia, and it was secluded, or it was scheduled to make several stops at ports along the coast of the province. The next day, when we docked at Sidon, uh, Julius was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore to visit with his friends so that they could provide for his needs. And putting out to sea from there, we encountered strong headwinds that made it difficult for the ship uh, 
to stay on course. So we sailed north of Cyprus between the island and the mainland, keeping to the open sea. We passed along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, landing at Myra in the province of Lycia. There, the commanding officer found an Egyptian ship from Alexandria that was bound for Italy, and he put us on board. So this Egyptian ship was uh, a big deal. It was a grain ship, and it was part of a special fleet of huge ships that had been commissioned by Rome to transfer and ship grain from Egypt back to Rome. And so these ships were just modern marvels of the time. They were enormous. They were capable of carrying hundreds and hundreds of tons of cargo and men and supplies and grain. And so at the time, it would have been quite the spectacle to see a ship of this size. And that's the ship that Paul, along with all these other prisoners, are boarded on to continue to, rate, to make the rest of the journey to Rome. And it goes like this, um, verse 7. We had several days of slow sailing, and after great difficulty, we finally neared uh, Sindus, uh, but the wind was against us. So we sailed across to Crete and along the sheltered coast of the island, past the Cape of Samon. We struggled along the coast with great difficulty and finally arrived at Fair Havens, near the town of Lycia. We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for us uh, for sea travel because it was so late in the fall, and and uh, Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. You're noticing that Luke, the author of this, is writing and he's saying, we. At this point, Paul and Luke are together. And Luke is an eyewitness of this account. He's with Paul on this ship, on this trip. And so verse 10, he's recording what Paul says. It says, men, he said, I believe there's trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner than he did to Paul. And since Fair Havens was an exposed harbor, a poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, uh, farther up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor with only a southwest and northwest exposure. So you're going to notice that the, the distance from this harbor at Fairhavens up the coast of Crete to Phoenix is really not very far. It doesn't seem like a big risk, and yet Paul knew that they were about to like venture into unsafe turf, uh, unsurf, unsafe territory and seasons because he was familiar, right? Like he knew what was going on here. This wasn't Paul's first rodeo sailing and traveling on the Mediterranean, and he had learned uh, from expert people he had traveled with the the risks and the cautions and how to read the weather and the wind and and he knew like we're about to embark on a dangerous journey that's not going to go well because he was familiar with the land and I can tell you from personal experience um, being familiar with the weather when you're out on a body of water is smart um, a couple of years ago as I was just getting familiar with the Snake River and and uh, new to having my boat I had the family down on the river and we we're having a fun day and everything seemed fine and calm, and I noticed there was some black clouds coming in from the south and a little bit of rain coming, and, and it was like, ah, it'll be all right, we're just going to keep fishing. But uh, worst case scenario, we'll get wet. Well, then it started to get a little bit worse. We're like, I ah, will head for the dock, you know. I, I mean, the worst that will happen to us is we're just going to get wet on the way back to the dock. No big deal. Well, that was not the worst that could happen to us because I wasn't familiar with the weather patterns and what was going to happen. And so the wind came in, and when I say wind came in, it was like, huge 
um, like hurricane level 60, 70 mile an hour wind gusts. The, the river went from calm to four and five foot uh, waves with white caps, like stuff you could surf on. We're blazing through them in the boat. The raves are crashing over the front of the boat. We went from it's this is funny to this is a little bit crazy, like we could sink. We finally make it back to the dock, and as we get to the dock, these huge waves are slamming the back of the boat, trying to push it into the shore. And it was a double-edged thing because if you held the boat steady so that it didn't get smashed into the shore, then the waves were crashing over the back of the boat and swamping, filling the boat with water as fast as the waves would hit it. And we literally almost sunk the boat. We nearly uh, left it right there in the boat in the boat launch. We got the boat out, took a deep breath, and kind of had a sigh of relief that we made it out. We laughed a little bit about it, but I learned an important lesson. For me, on that body of water now, I know when the wind picks up and I see dark clouds rolling in, it is not time to mess around. It is time to pay attention and get out of the water. Those are the kinds of lessons that Paul learned after years sailing the Mediterranean and traveling on the sea. And the problem is that Paul knew these things. He was familiar. He understood the risks at hand. He tried to raise his concerns, but they wouldn't listen to him. They wanted to listen more to the ship's owner and the captain who had a different agenda. Their agenda was to get the grain delivered, get the prisoners off the boat, right? They had a different agenda, and so they didn't pay attention. And so the rest of the story starts to go like this. Uh, verse 13, it says, When a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought that they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. Uh, but the weather changed abruptly, and a wind of typhoon strength called the Northeaster burst across the island, blew us out to the sea, and the sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Cauda, uh, where great difficulty, with great difficulty we hosted aboard the lifeboat that had been towed behind us. And then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. And they were afraid of being driven across the sandbars of Syrtis off the African coast. So they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and they were driven before the wind. So here they're trying to make this short little trip along the coast of Crete. The wind comes down from the north blowing towards the south off of Crete, blows the boat away from the shore, away from the harbor they were trying to make it to. It was blowing them so hard, so far south, they were worried they were gonna, that, that they would be driven all the way south towards Africa into these kind of famous well-known sandbars and maybe get driven ashore. So they're ordered to actually have sailors jump overboard with these ropes and they would swim under the ship, carrying these huge ropes underneath the ship to gird around the bottom of the ship and secure them with all these extra ropes to actually like help hold the ship together. I mean, this is like a, a duct tape and bailing twine farmer fix on a boat in the ocean in the middle of an epic storm, right? Like when you get to the point where you are duct tape and bailing twine your boat together in the middle of the ocean, you're worried. They were worried this ship was gonna come apart. And, and so that's the state of mind. It's starting to get a little bit crazy and a little bit chaotic. And here's how the rest of the story goes. Verse 18, it says, The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. On the following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until the last of all hope was gone, and no one had eaten for a long time. Finally, 
Paul called the crew together and he says, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. And what's more, God in His goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you, so take courage. For I believe God, Paul would say to them. It will be just as He said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. And so now, here's the thing, when all hope is gone, the, the storm's raging, they're throwing gear overboard. Now, finally, now they listen to Paul, right? And he speaks up in a way that, that gives them confidence. He says, take courage. The God whom I serve has given me this message, right? Even though we're going to shipwreck, everybody's going to make it all out all right. Like, like be brave. You know, he calls out their courage and their braveness. And, and he's, he's calling them to rally together in a time when they desperately needed someone to call them to be courageous. And so here's how the story finishes up. It goes in verse 27, it says, About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed that land was near. They dropped a weighted line. They found that the water was like 120 feet deep. A little later, they measured again and found it was now only 90 feet deep. And at this rate, they were afraid that soon they were going to be driven against rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship, and then they just prayed for daylight. The sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered a lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officers and soldiers, you will, you will all die unless the soldiers stay aboard, or the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everybody to eat. He says, you've been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair on your heads will perish. And then he took some bread, he gave thanks to God before them all, and he broke a piece of it and ate it all 276 of us who were on board. And after eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. And there's a neat parallel here to the Last Supper with Christ. Like before Christ was going to go through the final uh, suffering, he gathered together with his disciples and he, he brought them to, to, together and he reassured them and he broke bread and and, and talked with them about what was to come. And here Paul, in the face of this you know, unknown wreck and what was to come, he reassured them of their future that they were going to be okay. He broke bread and he prayed and they ate together. And so there's just these neat parallels there. Verse 39, when morning dawned, they didn't, re, uh, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and they wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and they left them in the sea and then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed towards shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. Uh, the bow of the ship was stuck fast, and the stern was repeatedly being smashed by the force of the waves, and it started to break apart. Like, I have had my boat, personally, in that exact same situation. It's a little bit freaky and scary to think that the ship you're on, the boat that you're on, is about to sink and be busted to pieces. 
Verse 42 says, The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape, but the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. He ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, and the others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship, so everybody escaped safely to shore. You see, this journey, it started off with, with all the right preparations, right? They had the right ship. They had the right crew, the right commander, the right experience. Uh, they were going the right direction. But when the storm hit, all of that kind of went out the window. All of those preparations, all of the right ingredients, none of it mattered when they were being pummeled by a storm. When the storm hit, really, they'd exhausted all of their experience, all of their wisdom, everything they knew how to do. And at the end of it all, they turned to a guy like Paul. They needed a guy with them that had been there. They needed a guy that could speak with confidence and courage and a steadfastness that, that came from knowing that he was listening to the Lord. And so in the middle of this storm, Paul's able to speak to them and he draws them together. He calls them to, to draw on their courage, to unite them. He, he's got this steadiness about him and yet this boldness and confidence about him that was exactly what they needed to help them get through this terrible storm. And the, the truth is, I think all of our lives are a lot like this trip at different times. All of our lives we experience things like this where so often we set out in the right direction with the right tools, the right experience, the right ingredients. We, we've thought through where we're going and how we're going to get there or what plan we're going to have. And, and we have all the right stuff, right? But when life happens, when the storms of life happen, all of that goes out the window. We exhaust our experience. We don't know what to do next. We don't know how to get out of the situation we're in. We don't know how to deal with the circumstances that have just come upon us. And when those things happen, we need a guy like Paul. We need a guy like Shackleton had in Frank Worsley. We need someone with experience, a steadfastness, a, a, a stableness in the face of a storm that we can turn to and say, okay, I, I don't know what to do next. Where do we go from here? How are we going to get out of this? And you can look at them with desperation and they can look back at you with calm confidence and say, here's what's next. Here's what God's got to say about a situation like this. And I think everybody needs a Paul to be with you in the storms of life. Some of you right now, as you're thinking about this and listening, you've got people that are coming to mind. You're like, oh yeah, I've got one. I've got several. I, this is a guy I would call if I was in that situation. This is, uh, you know, my grandpa, my dad, uh, my mom. Like, these are the people that are stable and steady and have been there and are tight with God and, and they can stand with me in the middle of the storm. And when my life's falling apart, I can lean on them, right? You have those people like a Paul or Worsley in a situation like that. But for a lot of people, you're listening to this and you're like, man, that would be really nice. I have no idea who it would be. I don't know who I would call. And beyond that, some of you right now are in a storm. Some of you have exhausted all of your resources, all of your experience. You don't know how to get out of the situation you're in. You don't know what to do next. And life has just overwhelmed you. And you're like, man, would it be nice to be able to have somebody like a Paul that would step into my story 
and walk through this mess with me and say, hey, take courage. I'm listening to God and here's what we do next. And I just want to offer this encouragement to you. We would love to help you find your Paul, right? Whether it's a, a guy or a gal, the, the cool thing is, is we have a church full of amazing godly men and women that would eagerly step into the storm with you if that's the season of life that you're in. They would eagerly get into the mess with you. They may not have all the answers, but they would stand with you and say, take courage, I'm listening to the Lord, let's get through this together. And they could be a voice of calm and confidence in the middle of a hard thing that maybe you're going through. And so if that's something that you need, let us help you. Reach out to us right in the comments right now as you're watching this online, right in the comments, I need a Paul, right? That's, we know what that means. And we'll connect with you. We'll start messaging with you. We'll say, hey, how can we help you find that person? For some of you, maybe it's a guy. For some of you, it's a, it's a steadfast gal. For some, maybe it's a married couple to step into the mess with you. We have people like that that are ready and willing to walk with you through those things. And so as we finish up this morning, before we take communion together, I want to take a minute and just pray with you and for you right now and, and that, that you would have the courage and the humility to just say, hey, I need a Paul. Like, don't keep fighting through the storms of life on your own, being overwhelmed and not knowing what to do next. Let us jump in the mess with you. Let someone from our church come alongside and help you. And even if you're remote and you don't live in our area, the beauty of Zoom and technology, we have people here that will build a rapport and a relationship and get to know you and we'll use FaceTime. Like, like we want to help walk with you through your hard stuff. And so I want to pray and then we're going to finish up with communion. So just join me. And if you've got a Paul, just join with us in praying for those folks that maybe this is exactly what they need in this time in their life. So let's pray. Father God, I just pray that you would soften the hearts of those that need uh, a guy or a gal that could step into the mess with them, that could be a calm, confident person that could be connected to the Lord and guiding them through the hard things that uh, life is throwing at them. God, give them the guts to reach out and say, I need a Paul, I need help. And God, give us the right people in our church to connect with exactly those folks. You know who they are. Help us put the right people with the, with the right storms. And so, Lord, just do miracles in the lives of people that need them. And so we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, right now, we're going to finish with communion, which is something we do every week. So if you don't have your elements for communion together, um, go ahead and grab them. I'm going to grab mine, and then we will finish with communion in just a second. church, we finish our time together by taking communion. And for us, this is a time where we stop and reflect and remember what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. We remember that when the storms of life brew up and things get out of control and, and we can't, there's nothing we can do like the ship that's pushed away from its destination. No matter how hard we try to stay on track, sometimes life just pushes us off the course. 
And it's not a matter of willpower. It's not a matter of try harder. It's a matter of, of those times when we, we need somebody to step in there with us. And there is no better person. There is no better um, voice of confidence and courage that we could lean on than the voice of Jesus. And we know that he was willing to go through any storm, to go through any trial, to be there with us. And so we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, just like Paul emulated with the guys on the ship. He took bread and he broke it and he, he told the disciples that this bread represented his body, which was broken for them. And as often as we get together, we remember that. And so let's take the bread this morning. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup represents a new covenant, which was uh, sealed with the shedding of his blood. And, and, and that covenant meant that there was forgiveness of sins available. And for us today, what it means is we remember that, that we can have all of our sins forgiven, every mistake we've ever made, every stupid thing we've ever done, every bad or evil thing we've ever done, we can turn to the Lord and be forgiven because of what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. Those are the things we remember as we take the cup. So let's drink the cup this morning. Join me as we finish with prayer this morning. Father God, we just thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he did on the cross. God, thanks for guys like Paul that show us what it looks like to hang in there and be connected to you and be courageous and steadfast in the face of the storm. Um, God, thanks that there are people like that yet today that are willing to walk with us through the hard times in life. When, when things are difficult and out of our control, there are people that are willing to walk in the mess with us and, and just hang in there and be with us through the hardest of our times. And so God, just... Help us to connect the right people to the right storms and walk together as a community. And so we love you and we just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us this morning. Don't forget that we've got uh, live church in person in uh, Colfax on Thursday nights at 6.30 at the Colfax uh, Methodist Church. And then, of course, Sundays we're live in person at Daggy at 9 a.m. and 10.30 and then, of course, uh, we'll continue to stream online. And uh, we would love for you to keep spreading the word. Those of you that are watching online, uh, whether you're local or remote, just keep inviting people. This is a great way to invite friends and family to join you for church. You can do watch parties together. You can get together a few people in a home and watch church together. But help us keep bringing the gospel message to people around the world. So we just thanks for joining us. Have an awesome week.